Hey everybody, welcome to a new episode of Sauce of the Scary. Derek Zoo, Jeff Wright here uh, in our specific <laughs> undisclosed bunkers deep down in the world. Jeff, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm just living out here in social distance land. That's uh, it, It's not bad. I mean, my wife is being crushed into the load of moving her school online. Um, but I'm getting to hang out with her and the kids. You know, I mean, society's falling apart. New York City is basically one large COVID virus. But out here in nowhere land, uh, it's it's nice to spend some time with my kids and wife. There you go. Yeah. Well, that's good. That, you know, that's as long as we can keep the lights on and, you know, running water paid for and things like that. It'll, it'll get bled right. pretty quick after that. Yeah. Then it'll just become a quiet place. Sure. Sure. <laughs> I, have to, I have to move them under a waterfall. Out here uh, hand digging a whale. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you and I both haven't hand dug a well before. Come on. <laughs> Son, ignore those blisters. You want to have water to drink? <laughs> I told you to put those gloves on, boy. Yep. <laughs> it won't be a quiet place. It'll be a miserable place. Yeah. It'll be frailty. <laughs> <laughs> Just knocking on neighbors' doors with a gleam in my eye. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, who knows what I will be doing for entertainment in a couple of weeks. Thank <laughs> you. Taking your kids and Otis around the neighborhood, laying hands on people. I'm here to heal you. <laughs> that sounds sinister, didn't it? That did. I, I mean, I, I really, I, I fit all the profile of the crazy country preacher. <laughs> I mean, it's it's three degrees away at any time when society's collapsing. That's that's worth at least three degrees. I could see you. I could see your kid growing up to be a, a young Matthew McConaughey too. So yeah, I got a white shirt. I can button up all the way to the top with no tie and. Yeah. Black suit. And my dad for sure has some kind of crazy country hat. So, I mean, it's all right here. It's all within walking distance. I mean, really, I don't understand why we don't just put a GoFundMe together. Just shoot that in your woods. Just a sequel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you give, it like, give it like two more days and we get those Trump buck checks and can buy some equipment. This might need to go down. <laughs> <laughs> You heard it here first. Yeah. If, uh, if if we're not going to get movies brought to us, doggone it, we're going to make our own. Yep. This is basically how Spielberg got started. We've been telling <laughs> Hollywood all their good ideas for a while anyway, so might as well sure. cash in. Might as well. <laughs> That's a pretty deep dive on things out in nowhere, Nowhereville. Uh, how are oh, things I in like Missouri? That. Oh, man. You know, uh, our governor doesn't care about us, so we're still out and about having a good time. Oh, your governor has put no restrictions on? Not at all. Well, uh, it's it's sad that like I, I had to go to Target today to get groceries, and it's sad that Target has more restrictions than the state of Missouri. <laughs> <laughs> is Missouri the show me state? It is. Yeah, they're they're living it out. Yeah, show me COVID. Uh, yeah, it's 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 a weird it's a weird time. So the uh, last time I went to a Target was uh, during that uh, week. I told you, you know, we went to a relative's funeral, and then New Orleans and the world fell apart. I feel like that was like six years ago, but I think it was two weeks ago. Sounds right. Uh, Maybe. Yeah, maybe two. Uh, Anyway, so I went to a Target in Central Florida because I'd forgotten sunglasses. And uh, I came back out and I just happened to notice uh, the most Karen looking woman ever pushing two buggies. Mm. Dude, you could not have put more toilet paper in those two buggies. The laws of physics were at the point of being deeply offended. And I just, I was like, yep, this is coming, isn't it? And I watched her hoard toilet paper before I pulled out of the the parking lot. So that's my last Target experience. My goodness. 
Well, luckily there wasn't any toilet paper at Target today, so <sighs> we didn't have any of those. Oh, I'm good. I'm stocked up, but uh, yeah, it's it's pretty crazy times. Aldi, but yeah, has they had our back. Aldi's kept us in toilet paper. Oh, good. Yeah, man, people. <laughs> This is a weird podcast we're doing today, uh, but uh, too many people sleep on Aldi. Like for sure, that's a, that's a good little grocery store. Yep, one hundred percent. We we shop there most of the time anyway, but uh, they have really come through. Like the other day, <laughs> this is uh, this is maybe the most thirty uh, year old white male thing ever. The other day, they had a full display of disinfectant wipes. Yes, and I would not have been more surprised to find that than if they had just stacked gold bars. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how you do it, Aldi, but tip of the cap to you, sir. Yeah, for sure, man. They're great. I'm, I'm a I'm an Aldi fan. Uh, I you know I I guess a lot of this conversation should have just been off air because most <laughs> of our listeners are like, when are you going to get to the movie, idiot? Uh, but I, it's it's weird to me that like Cookville doesn't have a Target yet. Oh yeah, yeah. So small town drama that it's rumored every year, and people get you know cultist level excited about it. Home Depot and Target, man. There's there's chanting and dancing in the street, and it never materializes. They're just playing yeah. with their hearts. Wow, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, but you have Publix. Yeah, we do have Publix, and Publix is taking care of people too. They're the only grocery store in town that is letting older people shop for the first hour or two hours of the day and then opening up the store to everybody else after. So people yeah, good on them. Yeah. Good job, Publix. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the update on COVID in uh, living through something scary. Yeah. What a weird, what a weird world we're living in right now. For sure, dude. For I, mean, sure. I guess it does. I guess it does all just make sense with the scary part of this podcast. Cause it is terrifying right now. So yeah. Yeah, the you know lack of information, or I, actually, I should say the deluge of information that you have no idea how to discern what you should trust and what you should pitch away. So yeah, it, it's disorientingly scary in different ways. Yeah, which definitely bleeds into what we're going to be talking about today. So that's a good one hundred percent. Yeah, a good segue. I know there's something else you want to do, but that, that's a really good segue into what we're doing. By the way, what we're talking about today is we're talking about the HBO miniseries Chernobyl. Uh, I don't think that that was anything that we said on the podcast last week. So Chernobyl is what we're going to be talking about this week. Yeah. And when you say that, I turn into a human form of that uh, emoji with hearts for eyes. (laughs) (laughs) Just I think I was I was rewatching it this week with the missus, who is also a huge fan of the show. And I think this is like my fifth time through it. But Mm. I I just notice stuff every time I watch it. I notice stuff I didn't like. um, Yeah, I'll get into it later. But all I'm going to say is that series rewards rewatching. There you go. Yeah. So, hey, you had a brilliant idea that we would borrow from, uh, you know, since there's no trailers or really any particularly awesome news. Um, we borrow from sister podcast, Pop Culture Quorum Deo, and do a segment called What You Watching. So you want to jump yeah. into? What you watching? What you watching? What you watching? So, Derek, what you watching, buddy? Man, I just want to keep that as part of our show just because that uh, that lead in is so adorable. <laughs> Well, thank you. The it's, the uh, the voice actors on that are near and dear to my heart. Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan as well. Uh, so I watched Hunters this week. I'm unfamiliar. What's Hunters? Um, Hunters is the Jordan Peele uh, produced series on uh, Amazon Prime. Yes, that okay. I feel I'm ashamed, and I'm sitting in a in a puddle of shame right now. 
for forgetting that. Uh, but I know exactly what you're talking about now that you said Jordan Peele. Yeah. Uh, stars Al Pacino, um, Josh Radner from How I Met Your Mother, um, Carol Kane. Uh, I think those are the three big stars in it. Uh, but uh, a great cast. It It's a little slow to begin with, but it gets ramped up probably about the fourth or fifth episode. And it leaves you with the biggest uh, WTF moment in a long time. I don't know if they'll keep, I don't know if they'll do a second season, uh, but if they do, I'll definitely go back and watch it just to see how they resolve um, the uh, cliffhanger that they left it on. Oh, okay. Well, it's been on my list to watch. I, I think I started it and couldn't get into it. I can't remember. Or maybe Christy didn't get into it as much, but anyway, I left it off. I need to, I need to go back to it. Yeah, and it, and it is like that is the thing about it. It's it's a slower build to it. The first couple episodes, I watched them, and I was just like, my goodness, this is this is going to be difficult to get through. And then it cranks up, and when it start like when it really cranks up, it's I couldn't stop watching at okay. that point. Well, awesome. I really, I mean, I guess our listeners maybe are ahead of me on this, but I appreciate the recommendation. I'm definitely going to check that thing out then. Um, and then. Uh, I finished that, and then I <laughs> started uh, the the thing that's buzzing all over social media right now, or at least on my Facebook. Uh, have you have you watched this yet, Jeff? Tiger King, Murder, Mayhem, and Madness. Well, we watched the first episode last night. Okay, I am the absolute target demo for the <laughs> Netflix documentary about crazy people. Yeah. I watch every one of those as soon as I can, and I knew this was like forbidden candy for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife and I both are working from home like so many others are, and we have a lot of online meetings, and so we both had to get up early this morning for some other stuff. And so I, I knew I needed to get to bed last night to be sharp, but there was just like two heartbeats of silence where I wasn't ready to go to bed, and I was like, let's start this. And we watched the whole thing. Uh, we watched the whole episode. <laughs> And, you know, it's already like, well, it's it's more than an hour past when we need to go to bed. And we like, you know, in, in a cowboy movie where the, the whistle noise plays over a gunfighter staring another one down, mm-hmm. we stared down just binging the whole thing. So <laughs> we ended up going to bed, self-control one out. But I guarantee you tonight it's going to be three o'clock in the morning. We're like, is there no more episodes? Why? It can't end there. <laughs> Long answer. I've started it. So have you yeah. have you finished it? I haven't. I have decided to savor this like a nice wine. For sure. And I only watch an episode a night. How far are you in? Three. <sighs> yeah. I, so I, I think I've told you before, I have a bad habit of doing that and never watching <laughs> watching yeah. the thing, you know. But uh, I'm I'm seriously betting we'll just binge our way right through this one. Yeah, it is difficult not to. Like, um, after the second episode, I was like, oh, I want to watch this third one. I was like, no, I'm just going to wait. Uh, and so I, I watched, yeah, I watched the third one last night. I'll watch the fourth one tonight. I mean, what else do I have to do with my time right now? Except just savor this as much as possible, but my goodness. Yeah, it is. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, after you, sir. I, it is just the most white trash, fascinating thing I've ever seen in my entire life. The only thing that it does is (laughs) the only bad part about it is, is it makes me feel bad because I don't have a significant other and this dude has two. Are you there? Did I lose you? What happened? Yeah, I think I lost you for just a second, but uh, okay, uh, I'm back now, baby. Okay. Yeah. Uh, did, I don't know if you heard the joke or not. Did you hear? <laughs> <laughs> Making an editing note right now. Yeah. Why don't we redo it and uh, I'll, uh, I'll I'll snap it back in.
Okay. Um, the only the only bad part about this documentary is that um, it makes me feel bad for not having a significant other because he has two. Nice, well played, sir. <laughs> <laughs> like makes makes my heart hurt a little bit. Yeah, I, I'll tell you what I'm realizing watching this. I just grew up with too limited a uh, a profile of potential careers. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't know, man. I thought you were like a doctor, a lawyer, a preacher, a farmer. I didn't realize you could be uh, the eccentric television station, internet television owning wild game, big cat owner. I'm not saying I don't win for it, but I, I just wish I'd have known I, I maybe could. <laughs> right. Right. It's not necessarily something that would have happened, but it would have been nice to know that it was a possibility. Yeah. Or at least like I could encourage some of my close friends to do it. So. <laughs> Jeff exotic has a decent ring to it. You know, I like that. Yeah. yeah. But you'd have to change the spelling to G O G E O F F. Yeah. I'm willing to do that. I think once toys R us went down, that name came up for grab. So I could do that. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so those have been the the big two things I, I've watched, and then I revisited Us the other night. Um, it was the year anniversary that it that it premiered, and so I, I revisited Us. And man, that movie is just—it's not as good as Get Out, but my goodness, it's good. Yeah, you know, Derek, that's that impeccable sense of timing you have. I I I haven't I've never watched that movie the second time. Mm. It seems like it's time to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I would I would encourage you to do so. Yeah. That's a brilliant idea. So it holds up on the rewatch, uh, I take it. Yeah, I mean, this is probably my sixth watch of it. Yeah. You know, I saw it three times maybe in theaters. Yeah. Um I know I, I know I at least watched it twice in theaters, but I'm not for sure if I watched it a third time or not, but I know that I've watched it several times after I bought the the uh Blu-ray and and, uh, yeah, it was, I was perusing HBO the other night and, uh, I, while I should have been watching Chernobyl, I just couldn't, <laughs> I, I, for some reason just couldn't get into it. And I was like, what else is there for me to, and I saw it and I went, Oh, there it is. And just coincidentally enough, it was the, uh, coincidentally enough, as I went to look at Facebook memories, which is a, a good and evil thing at times. Uh, it showed me that I had watched it for the first time a year to the day. Mm. I went, well, okay, that's that's serendipitous. So let's sure. let's check it out. Good good term there. Uh, so I have I have always enjoyed. I say always. I I, I want to hear Peel's thoughts. Have you listened to like a director's commentary on the Blu-ray? I haven't. Okay. Uh, I I need to. I haven't. I haven't yet. And um, I don't know if we've talked about this or not. But my PlayStation broke about a week before this quarantine happened. Oh my gosh! So, yeah. Dead gummit life. Yeah. Uh, so I don't have. Uh, I don't have a, a Blu-ray player at the moment. Um, nor do I have anything to kill time when I absolutely need it. So. Oh yes, listener, that is your cue to screen. set up the GoFundMe. <laughs> if anybody was out there wondering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or just send me one. Yeah. You know, maybe you've got an extra one, or maybe you've got one that you don't play anymore. Just DM me, and I'll be happy to send you my address, and you can just ship that thing over. And I can play Spider Man again. Be happy. 
Well, um, so you, somebody send Derek a PlayStation. Derek can send me until then the Blu-ray so that we can yes. um, I can listen to the director's commentary, and this is how we can spread COVID nineteen through the mail. Also, yes, I love it. Yeah, and and we can just uh, you can just Skype me. We can listen to it together. <laughs> we'll just cough and listen and cough and yeah. listen. Yeah, I get you. It'll be good. Uh, <laughs> no joke, dude. I had like I said, I had to go to Target earlier today. And, uh, of course, it's also allergy season. Yeah, which, again, dead uh, gum at life. Yeah. So I I walked into Target and felt that, like, allergen cough coming on. But I held it because, like, everybody in here is going to look at me like I have leprosy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) So I I held it until I got to my car, and then I hacked for, like, two minutes. (laughs) That's how you find out that, contrary to your expectations, Target actually does sell pitchforks and torches. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, especially here in Missouri, man, <laughs> people want to uh, riot anytime they can. So, you know, again, had a relative pass away, went to the funeral, and uh, they were already by that point recommending that people not fly. And uh, one of the guys had no choice, so he flew in. And he said that he has never been on a plane ride like that before. He said everyone just sat quietly with their hands in their lap looking down. Nobody made eye contact because I guess mm, yeah. either they were ashamed to be flying or they, I don't know, they had the sense that COVID was spread through eye contact. Right. Uh, but he said one woman sneezed. <laughs> and he said it really felt like a terrorist had stood up and like started waving a gun around. He said yeah. it's just the most surreal thing that's ever happened. And she's like, it's just allergies. And everybody's like, sure, thanks, Typhoid Mary. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Strange days, man. Strange days. For sure, man. Um, so that's – and then the last thing, I uh, I found myself – uh, battling insomnia, insomnia last night, and I uh, decided to throw on a movie that I'd seen before, but I'd wanted to revisit, and so I watched Vice last night. Uh-huh. Uh huh. The Dick Cheney uh, dark comedy. I wouldn't call it a biopic, but a dark comedy with my and, with my beautiful beautiful uh, Sam Rockwell. Yes, yeah. yes, uh, and that's honest to goodness. That was the reason why I wanted to watch it because I've. I don't know if I told you or not, but I was supposed to go to New York in June to see the final uh, final showing of Beetlejuice. Uh, Dead gummit life. Yeah, Beetlejuice was supposed to close on June the 6th uh, at the Winter Garden Theater, and I had already got the time off from work. Now I indefinitely have the time off from work. But um, So I was going to go do that. Well, Sam Rockwell and Lawrence Fishburne are in a play, and, and I, for the life of me, I don't remember the name of it. But yeah, you go um, see it because they're in it, right? Who cares? Exactly. What it's called? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I found affordable tickets to that, and then also just premi- had just premiered on Broadway was the Mrs. Doubtfire musical, and so I had actually found a cheap ticket for that wow. too. So it was going to be like I think it was the Mrs. Doubtfire musical on Friday, Beetlejuice on Saturday, and the uh, Rockwell play on Sunday. Dude, I am then, proxy weeping for this lost trip for you. That yeah. sounds incredible. Yeah. Hey, no, it wouldn't have been, man. All those shows would have sucked. It'd have been horrible. New York food sucks. You wouldn't have enjoyed it at all. You're just lucky you got out of that, man. You know what? I appreciate the sentiment, but how dare you disparage <laughs> the good gosh darn name of New York City? Uh, well, I'm just trying to help a buddy out. I, I believe I none of those things. I'm just trying to <laughs> just trying to do my part, you know? I appreciate it. Um yeah, so of course I've already seen Beetlejuice and it's phenomenal. So uh, I knew that that was a lie, but yeah. So I've been kind of 
lamenting and mm-hmm. mourning the fact that I probably won't get to see Sam Rockwell in person. So I was like, man, I, I just want to see like a good Rockwell movie. And I could have rented or bought Jojo Rabbit, but, you know, funds are tight right now, so I don't really need to do that. Uh, and Vice was the first thing that came to my mind. So I watched it and, uh, you know, that's a whole different kind of scary. <laughs> that's more <laughs> more the scary of what we were talking about today. But uh, it does fall into the category of such. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't think we've talked since I saw Jojo Rabbit, have we? No, we haven't. I didn't know that you'd seen it. You in so I would not have seen that movie if you hadn't talked me into it. And even going into it, I was like, I don't think I'm gonna care for this. Yeah, I I thought this was a great year for movies. Most of the Oscar nominated best film pictures I really liked. Um, I I don't know that I've been more impressed with a movie thus far um, than Jojo Rabbit because yeah, it's two movies in one, and it's like. It's just beyond my ability to capture how funny the first part of that movie is. Mm-hmm. But then it becomes this period drama, human interest piece movie that's like emotionally gripping in a way that won't let go of you. Yeah. Uh, and I don't want to spoil it for anybody who maybe hasn't seen it. But as a guy who is a skeptic, you got to see Jojo Rabbit. And mm-hmm. uh, the Rockwell character does the same thing. And at the beginning, there's all this comedy built into him. But the last thing we see from him, again, trying to... Uh, trying to avoid spoilers, the the thing he does for JoJo, uh, I just, dude, I was like choking up over it. Uh, yeah. And I didn't expect it from, I mean, this is the lightest, the lightest spoiler I can give. He plays a Nazi and uh, you don't expect to see that from a character playing a Nazi. Uh, so anyway, man, Sam Rockwell, just every time I see him, he moves up my list of greatest actors of his generation, you know? Yeah. So I saw that movie in uh, Orlando. I was I was down there for an audition and came off the audition feeling great. Uh, this was before life went to hell. And uh, and I was waiting on a friend of mine. She was also auditioning that day. And I was waiting on her to get done with her audition and knew based on where she was at in line, I was going to have a couple hours to kill. And uh, Lucy Southwell, who I frequently mention here on the show, she she had been telling me for weeks, like, you got to go see Jojo Rabbit. You got to go see Jojo Rabbit. And I was going to go see it at um, the theater that shall not be named, but they took it out before I could, before I had a chance. And so on pure happenstance uh, at the Disney Springs AMC Theater, uh, not only was there one showing of Jojo Rabbit, but I also had a gift card. Wow. And I was like, well, that's, again, serendipitous. Yeah. And Way to go, life. Yeah, and uh, I walked in very tired. Uh, also, my adrenaline was going because I just had this, you know, really fun audition. And I remember thinking to myself, like, "Oh, I'm going to fall asleep in the middle of this movie. Like, even if it's the best movie ever, I'm just I'm comfortable. I'm air conditioned. I'm going to fall asleep." And uh, I couldn't. I mean, I, I had to wait for everyone else to leave before I could get up and leave because I, I was crying so hard yeah. at the end of that movie. Yeah, it's. Uh, it's a heck of a ride, man. And, you know, I tell everybody there were three movies last year that I think were the best three. And uh, I think you and I've had this discussion, but Parasite, Jojo Rabbit, Knives Out. And uh, I think Parasite wins it out just barely over Jojo Rabbit for me, just because I did not expect it to be as good as it was. Yeah. Uh, but, man, Jojo Rabbit, not only did it make Sam Rockwell. I said this to somebody. I said, Sam Rockwell has officially become my favorite actor. Hmm. Um, for me, like Dwayne Johnson and Robert Downey Jr. are more brands and personalities. Yeah. 
Uh, and, and that's weird saying that because I think RDJ is one of the greatest actors of all time. But I think as far as like an actor's actor, Sam Rockwell has got to be at the top of the list. Yeah, I mean, I was talking about greatest actors of his generation. For me, that's like Bale and him and six and one half dozen of the other, you know. Yeah. I have watched Ford versus Ferrari because my kids are into it. I've watched it a ton already. Uh, But Jojo Rabbit is the movie I'm most looking forward to revisiting multiple times in the future. Yeah. It's uh, when uh, the writing. I mean, Watiti, the writing, I mean, everything lands in that movie. I can't name a weakness in it. And again, it's two great movies in one movie. Uh, Mm -hmm. Anyway, sorry, I I didn't mean to step on you. Just no, no, no. no, Yeah, I was just going to say that um, not only did Sam Rockwell jump to the front of that list, but also Taika Watiti probably is now on my Mount Rushmore of directors. He's also definitely in the top two or three of like, if I had one day to have lunch with somebody, yes. who would I pick? Yes. You know what I mean? I'm going to watch everything he does, but I also would just love to hang out with him for a day. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he is. Uh, he's fantastic. And that, yeah, I mean, that movie is, is wonderful. As much as I'm glad that the director of Parasite won Best Director, I easily could have said Jojo Rabbit and been really happy with, you know, the fact that the, it, it took it as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I told you I was happy this year. Jojo Rabbit, Parasite, for me, 1917, and Ford yeah. versus Ferrari, I would have come away going, yeah, makes sense. Yeah. And I also love The Irishman. That's one of the things I've watched in the recent days. I just had put it off because it's so long. Yeah. But I just, I, I know this about myself. But it, I just had forgotten that I'm always in for a straight up Italian gangster movie. Mm-hmm. And it was perfect. And I don't care that, like, they tried to make Robert Downey, uh, Robert Downey, Robert De Niro. Uh, you Robert know, Downey a, De Niro. <laughs> as a, you know, he's basically 700 years old. And it, uh, big chunks of this movie, he's supposed to be playing a young father. I don't care. Mm-hmm. I don't care. I'm here for it. Yeah. And this may be the last ride of De Niro, Scorsese, Pacino, and Pesci. And uh, I guess I'll be revisiting the Irishman. So anyway, this is a long way of me saying I thought all the best picture noms were great this year. I would have been almost happy with any of them. Uh, it's just a shame that like this couldn't have come out. Jojo Rabbit couldn't have come out the year Shape of Water won. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. Um, <laughs> dang it, I had something I was going to well, say. Actually, about that I guess the year forgot. Shape of Water came out should have been Get Out. Get Out. Yeah. yeah. I'll have to go back through my archives and find the year that Jojo Rabbit should have came out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm sure that there was, there's always a good, <laughs> there's always a good year for uh, something like that to come out yeah. and, and take whatever uppity pretentious movie one. Yep. Uh, oh, also um, I can say that Sam Rockwell is my favorite actor because Robert Downey Jr. Just did um, do little and that's the worst piece of garbage. Yeah. That's just so sad. You know, he, I, I guess we should stop wondering what Cap and Tony will do in their competition, but like Cap won with knives out. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, yeah. Cap won the breakup. It's just tough to see, see Tony take that, that ill so quick. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, the, uh, I think comicbook.com released an article like a week ago that said Doolittle coming to streaming early. And it took everything in me not to not to post it on my social media and be like, as if we haven't suffered enough. <laughs> I'm so sad to hear that because I, I, you know, I thought, well, it's RDJ. I'll go, I'll go watch it. Yeah, but uh, I'm not going to now. No, no. If I can keep you from doing anything, sir, don't go watch that movie. Okay. I know I, I couldn't keep you from Midsummer, but I'm I'm telling you, don't don't go watch Doolittle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then finally, <laughs> the 
last thing I'm watching or the last thing that I, I want to talk about that I'm watching. Uh, if, and if you haven't seen it, I'm going to tell you to drop everything you're doing and watch this. Uh, and also to the rest of our wrestling fans. Well, brother, you're uh, running right up against old Tiger King, LT Gray Kingo. So yeah, uh, this better really hit. Uh, Dark Side of the Ring. Um, I don't know if you watched this documentary series on Vice last year. I'm but, familiar. Uh, I didn't. Okay. Dark Side of the Ring deals with some of the most tragic and also craziest stories in the world of professional wrestling. Uh, season two just premiered this week with a two hour documentary on the Chris Benoit murder suicide. Oh, uh, it is narrated by Chris Jericho. Um, oh, their, their interviews with, uh, Jericho Chavo Guerrero jr. Uh, David Benoit and Nancy Sullivan's or Nancy Benoit's sister, Sandra. Wow. Uh, and Jim Ross as well is in it. And I'm sure that there's others that I can't think of. But uh, the fact that Jericho, uh, Chavo, Vicky Guerrero, uh, Dean Malenko, uh, people that that were close to Benoit. Yeah, like Jericho loved him. Yeah. Huh. Um, and, and then, you know, uh, also his son, David Benoit, yeah. is in it as well. And it's uh, it's emotional. It's it's gruesome. It is it is the real kind of scary. Yeah. And. Uh, even if you're not a wrestling fan, even if, you know, you heard about those, you know, the murder suicides in 2007 of, of Chris, um, his wife, Nancy and, and their son, Daniel, even if you heard about those things and you're interested in it, I highly recommend going and watching it. I've seen it twice now and it's, um, it's difficult. So you know? how does, how does one watch a vice documentary? Uh, it should be on YouTube. Okay. For, for cost or no cost? Uh, for no cost, as of right now. Oh, baby. Um, also, if you have a Roku, they have a app. They have a Vice TV app, and it is free as of right now as well. Sure. Um, I think the Dark Side of the Ring, the first season is on YouTube. Uh, I think it's. I think you have to pay for it. I think it's like a buck ninety nine an episode. Okay. Uh, I'm sure that there's some out there that you can watch for free on YouTube. It'll be a little, you know, the the um, screen will be distorted or whatever, but janky. Yeah. Uh, but out of the first season, I highly recommend the Bruiser Brody episode. Okay. Uh, because that is uh, one of the craziest stories in pro wrestling. Uh, and then there's, uh, they started it with Macho Man Elizabeth. Sure. And uh, just, you know, being a Randy Savage fan uh, was, you know, I wanted to watch that one, but yeah. Uh, highly recommend Dark Side of the Ring, uh, especially this first this first uh, episode of the second season. Uh, later on this season, they're doing an episode on Dino Bravo, huh. um, which I'm um, insanely excited to watch because I don't know if you know this or not, but Dino Bravo was basically – I don't mean to chuckle, but uh, Dino Bravo was basically executed Hitman style, Mafia style. And he had like mob by, ties, right? Yeah, apparently. I can't remember. It was probably one of Conrad's podcasts that I heard somebody mention that. Mm-hmm. You know, I always thought of him as like a mid carder. He never, yep, he never landed on my radar. But like that guy apparently was into some shady stuff. I'm all about. I mean, you just heard me talk about the Irishman. Yeah, sign me up for Dino Bravo. Yeah, and uh, Jim Ross talks about it a little bit on his podcast this week. Um, goes into a little bit of detail, but not much. But it's, I'm I'm very intrigued to see how it plays out. But um, yeah, if, if for some reason you have Vice TV. Uh, the new there's a there'll be a new one that comes out every Tuesday. 
And then I think you can stream them the day after that. Um, I know that if you have live TV with Hulu, Vice is included on that. So check it out. But yeah, definitely check it out. Um, like I said, the Benoit one is, I think it's the best one they've done so far. And it's, um, you know, it's, that's the craziest story in this weird, wacky world of professional wrestling. And yeah. they, they, they did it. They did it right. So. Well, and if you get if you get Jericho in there, I mean, I don't know. Jericho may have concluded that his friend became a monster, but Jericho is not inclined to be simplistic about it. You know, he knew the guy who was not the ghoul before whatever happened. You know, right? Uh, and so I I've heard Jericho talk about it on his podcast some, and yeah. I've always appreciated the perspective he brought because he's he doesn't take a simple approach to it. And so, man, I'm I'm all about that. You've told me I'm probably still going to watch Tiger King first, but when my wife yeah. goes to bed, I'll fire up Benoit. Yeah. Um, so the first the first episode or the first hour of it is more of a Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit documentary mm-hmm. uh, kind of detailing, you know, their rise to uh, to prominence in the WCW and the WWF. Cool, um, and then probably three fourths of the way in to the thing, Eddie passes. And then the last half or like the last fourth of the first hour is talking about, you know, Benoit. uh killing his family and then himself. And then the second hour is just all that. And, uh, it goes into some crazy details that I didn't know. Um, yeah, it's, uh, as a matter of fact, I may fire it up after we get done. Like I gotta, I gotta cook dinner. So I may just put it on in the background while while I'm doing that. Oh, cool, man. You've, you've sold me vice, uh, vice will be getting a stream for me on this one. Yeah. Well, I don't know that I've watched anything in addition to what we've talked about here. Um, I, I will tell you this just for comedic sake. My my kids, uh, my boys anyway, have gotten into into basketball pretty pretty heavily, and uh, I'm taking advantage of that by watching a ton of basketball documentaries. So my kids mm-hmm. are learning about like the '90s Orlando Magic with Penny and Shaq, the Bad Boys. Yes. It's basically at this point I'm completing everything that's required of me as a father. <laughs> so I may check out after this. I'm not sure. Maybe it'll be COVID. I'm not. I don't know, but. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm kind of coming. You just got to, you just got to show them blue chips. That'll be, that'll be the end of it. Yeah. And blue chips even was like, it wet their appetite in the magic documentary because blue chips is referenced. Yeah, like, that's right. Know, that's right. Let's, uh, you know, it, it'll be nice to be able to say that basically all of my parenting requirements have been fulfilled when my kids aren't even 11 yet. So <laughs> it's good to have that checked off. Oh, absolutely. Well, that's, yeah, that's cool, man. I, uh, you know, people, people ask me all the time. Well, not all the time. That sounds pretentious, but <laughs> people people have asked me before, like that knew me as a child, knew that I was a big basketball fan growing up in the '90s, and and I I fell away from it probably in the early aughts. Sure. And you know they ask me like what happened, and I just tell them. I mean, when Jordan left, it it wasn't the same, but really when Shaq and Penny broke up, it was like, yeah, dude. You know, I, I was I was the guy that loved the Magic while everyone else was loving the Bulls. And, you know, granted, I mean, you got to love Jordan, but like Penny and Penny and Shaq were my guys. Yeah, man. One hundred percent that I so resonate with that. So I was just conflicted. You know, I was in a love triangle because Jordan retired. Here came Penny Hardaway. Then Jordan comes back and all of a sudden Jeff Wright's heart is divided. But yeah, uh, yeah eventually Michael retires again. Penny's around and you're like, things are going to be wonderful. But Shaq goes to L.A. Penny hurts his knee. And I mean, really, basketball in the NBA went into a wilderness in terms of ratings, because you had the Iverson generation, Chris Weber maybe, and nobody wanted to watch them play. It 
it, it took a long time for the for the league to bounce back in terms of the popular consciousness. And so uh, it, it is right in the fields for me uh, in the same way you're describing. Yeah, for sure. Now I need to go back and watch Blue Chips. Yeah, dude. And I mean, if you hadn't seen that the 30 for 30, this magical moment, it will it will tear your heart out. I saw Penny Hardaway, my favorite post Jordan player. Uh, and then, you know, he ended up becoming a contemporary briefly for about three years. Uh, but then I saw my favorite basketball shoes ever. The the Penny, the Air Penny Ones, I think is what they were called. Yes. Most expensive pair of shoes I've ever bought. You get a little dose of Little Penny with Chris Rock and I don't know, dude, it's, it's all right there. I was just about to ask you if Little Penny uh, does a cameo in the documentary or not. Yeah, he's in there. I remember as a kid going to Goodies looking to see if they had released a new Little Penny shirt. I had like three of them. <laughs> and I was, it's like a kid, you know, I used to do that with comic books. I'd go see if there had been a new comic released. I was going to Goodies to find new Little Penny shirts. <laughs> That's awesome. True story. Tell them, little penny from the science class says hello. <laughs> and I forgot Shaq did a video where uh, a little penny lookalike pops up and he squashes it with his elbow. I mean, there's yeah. drama there, man. There's drama. Yeah. Shaq was also, uh, I know, excuse me, Sinbad was also in a, in a <laughs> movie where he was a genie. Yeah, I, I know I saw that. I just can't ever find it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny, man. I, I read somewhere, a uh, buddy of mine posted, he said, do you think we're in the wrong Berenstain timeline? <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of those sitting out there that are pretty good. I mean, it, it's tired at this point, but the first time I saw, has anybody tried unplugging 2020 and plugging it back up? Yeah. Uh, I, that captured exactly where my, my heart was at. Yeah. So good. Uh, all right, man. I think we've waxed enough poetic. We probably need to get to uh, the main event. Yeah, we have thoroughly vetted out everything that we are watching. So <laughs> you can tell you can tell we're in self quarantine and don't get to talk to many people mm-hmm. outside of family because we're both like, hey, let's talk about this too. Yeah, I just became my grandma when she was like sixty five <laughs> as a housewife, talking about my stories. <laughs> Uh, I just became my grandma now because I can't remember anything. Oh, was that too dark? Oh my gosh! Yeah, that is too dark for 2020, man. You, you've taken us to a new. Oh my gosh, my heart hurts for that. Uh, my cash app is uh, <laughs> Derek Zoo. Uh, shout out to Miss Judy. We love you, Miss Judy. We do love you, Miss Judy. Uh, um. All right. She's, so doing, we'll, she's doing great, by the way. Good. Good. Uh, we'll call that the end of. What you watching? What you watching? What you watching? So, are you ready to pull the curtain on Chernobyl, sir? Pull the string. I don't think that's ever been more apt. Yeah, I mean that that accent. I think is pretty close to. It's closer to Russian than the the accents of the actors in yeah, this movie. I was going to say show. it's better than what Jared Harris and uh, Stellan Skazbar did. Skazgar. <laughs> I don't know what you just said, but I want to say it forever now. So Stellan <laughs> scares bad. <laughs> yes, Skarsbard. I don't know. Rock the cash bar. I think that's what I said. <laughs> Derek, here's here's something I need to know. You had me chewing my fingernails because you're like, I can't get into this. Tell me you love Chernobyl. I, I do, sir. I'm so thankful to hear that. That's so much relief to me. I love this show in a way that, I mean, it's dark, it's bleak, but man, I love this show and I'm so thankful you love it too. Yeah, it it, it did take me a little bit of time. I think that I expected more action Yeah. Uh, in, in the first go around. Like, I think that's what, uh, you know, because I told you, I said, dude, I've tried to watch this like two or three times and just can't get in the mindset. Um, and I just, I guess I just didn't expect 
a bunch of middle-aged white men talking the whole time. Yeah. I, I just expected more action. And once once I settled in and uh, got to it, I, I don't think I like it as much as you do. But I definitely will recommend it and tell people to watch it. I think it's appointment viewing. I think I think everybody needs to watch it. Um, I, but I will say it may be the greatest miniseries I've ever seen. But I think that when people are ranking it with top television shows, I, I think that that might be a little too much. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but as far as like a miniseries or, or, um, you know, things, things of that nature, man, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's appointment. It's appointment viewing. You, you've, you've hit something true there. Like if, you know, if you, if you put five episodes of this up against justified, Mm-hmm. These five are better, mm-hmm. but they didn't have the degree of difficulty of doing it for multiple seasons. You know what I mean? Right. It is hard to kind of throw this as a TV show. Uh, we're going to have to have some kind of category because this, I think, won a Golden Globe uh, for television. And that's cool. It deserves awards. It's just, you know, if I'm running a show that's doing, I don't know, even like 12 episodes a year, I'm going to be really frustrated that they can come in and make a five-part movie mm-hmm. uh, and take all the awards. You know, it's just a different degree of difficulty. Yeah, well, I think it won for, uh, again, like I said, for best miniseries. Oh, I'm then, pretty I'm sure. sorry, I I'm, I'm, didn't hear you right. Um, okay, so good. I'm glad there is a category for it because it certainly deserves, yeah, it deserves a claim. It just it can't yeah. be compared to day-in-and-day-out shows. Yeah, I think, yeah, so it's uh, it was it won a Golden Globe for best television limited series or motion picture made for television. Okay. Uh, so lim- I guess a limited series is the the way that they look at it. Um, yeah. I, I was ahead. familiar with the award run it went on at one point because, like I said, I fell in love with it. I know mm-hmm. Stellan Skarsgård won for his supporting role, and I knew it won for whatever category it was nominated for. But I'm still salty that Jared Harris didn't win. You know, he lost to Russell Crowe in for Crowe's performance in something I've never heard of. <laughs> and I'm still salty about it, man. You know, we were talking about Rockwell and Bell. Jared Harris is climbing up for me, man. I basically two AMC, I'm sorry, one AMC and one HBO series made me, you know, fall in love with him. It's mm-hmm. season one of the Terror, and this one, man. I just think he is such a strong actor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he is. He is. Um, he's one of those. He's one of those guys that up until recently was the oh, you're that guy from that thing. Yeah. Uh, but but I feel stars, like, yeah. yeah, but I feel like that he is he's done enough good stuff over the last decade that people look at him now and go, oh, that's Jared Harris this is going to be good. Yes. I, so I think you are going to relate to what I'm about to say, because you and I both love Philip Seymour Hoffman. Mm-hmm. Jared Harris to me is like filling the, the vacuum that mm. Philip Seymour Hoffman left behind for me. Yeah. I don't think that Jared can go quite as quick to humor as Philip Seymour Hoffman can. But in terms of just being like the rock steady character actor, who's like, you know, he might be able to rise to leading man status. He's so good. Mm -hmm. It's Jared Harris to me. Yeah. So I love the guy. And this, this series is one of the, one of the major reasons. Yeah. I mean, he is, he is phenomenal in this for sure. Um, I think the first thing I really remember Jared Harris from (laughs) is, um, uh, ah, crap. What is it? Mr. Deeds. Yeah, that dude. I hadn't even thought about. Yeah, that's right. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, uh, and then he was in. He was in Mad Men, and he's he's wonderful in Mad Men. Um, uh, hang on a second, Wahlberg. 
the reason I wanted to bring Wahlberg in is because uh, now that we're in spoiler territory, I feel like that I can say this. Did you ever see Mad Men? No, I didn't. Okay. Do you mind if I spoil something for you in Mad Men? No, I, I plan to watch it, and I kept up with it because everybody knew about Mad Men, so I would read yeah. like synopsis and stuff. Okay. Um, this is the second thing I've seen Jared Harris hang himself in, and I don't oh, want him oh, to be—I oh. don't want him to be known as that guy. <laughs> for sure. For sure. They have a remake Shawshank. He, he knows which role he's playing. Yeah. I was just, I, that's the first thing, like, you know, the first five minutes of this series, he hangs himself. And I was like, oh, come on, buddy. Don't let that be your thing. <laughs> it's the wrong kind of typecasting. Yeah, for sure. But um, so he was, he was fantastic in Mad Men. But then I was a little salty when he was picked to play Moriarty in uh, Sherlock Holmes and uh-huh. the Guy Ritchie, Robert Downey Jr. movies, Robert Downey De Niro movies. Yeah. Um, because I just, excuse me, at that time, I didn't know who he was. I wasn't that familiar with him. But man, he does such a great job in that movie. Yeah. And everything I see him in, he rises to the occasion. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, what, that's the perfect example. You're like, this guy, for sure. Now, yeah. I didn't know him from Mad Men, but yeah. Can he be on the same stage as, you know, the, the actors you mentioned with, uh, Sherlock Holmes, and he does. He rises to mm-hmm. it. You know, he doesn't yeah. leave anything. He he doesn't leave you thinking he's out of his league. Right. Yeah. No. He he does a phenomenal job with it. And uh, yeah. So I think that I watched Sherlock Holmes before the Game of Shadows. Before I before I started Batman. Matter of fact, I I guarantee it. And um, so I I wasn't familiar with him at all. And then of course watching Mad Men, you know, he gets into it, and I was like, oh, that's Moriarty. That's awesome. So that that gave me a whole new appreciation for him. But, mm. uh, yeah, uh, I mean, I guess we can stop gushing and go on to something else. But, I mean, he is uh, he is so good in this thing. Yeah, and Skarsgård is, too. I mean, I, I don't want to take anything away from the uh, actress who played um, – what is her name? She's kind of a composite character. She's not a historical figure. She was created for this one. Uh, Komiyuk. Uh, yeah. She was great. And I think – Lana? Guy, wasn't that her first name? Yeah. Emily Watson. Yeah. Yeah. And the guy who plays Dyatlov, uh, Paul Ritter, I thought he was great, too. Mm-hmm. But it's still sort of a it's a two person show for me. And um, even though there, there's this other character, uh, Ignatinko, who's the wife of the firefighter. Yeah. Um, she just didn't compel me. Emily Watson and Paul Ritter did. Uh, but Jared Harrison, Stellan Skarsgård are awesome because Skarsgård plays a human tank who is like the embodiment of USSR ideals, right? He's clearly a guy who's risen from, risen from the worker ranks. Mm-hmm. And so many people in this show are just out of their depth, but he catches up to it. And he catches up to it by realizing, I'm going to have to choose the party or the world, the safety of the world, and I'm going to lean on uh, Legasov. And he, I mean, he just, he it's him that actually has a, a character arc in this, right? Like he becomes mm-hmm. a different person. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad he was honored for it because I didn't see anything in 2017 that even compared to, you know, we've talked about how much we like character stuff in mm-hmm. in the movies we review and the stuff we've done. And he's that in this. Um, Legasov really doesn't change. He has the moment of crisis where is he going to tell the world the truth or not? But he stays the same guy. It's uh, Sherbina who becomes this different person. And it's it's I mean, like he's the embodiment of the USSR in that time. And then he's also the he becomes the indictment of the USSR. Right. Like Mm -hmm. he saw and changed. They saw and refused to change. And it's it's so well done. 
I, sometimes I, I get in my head that like acting isn't as big a deal as I make it out to be because, you know, somebody writes it, tells you over there and say it. And I, I don't mean it as an insult to you. I realize I'm wrong. You've done acting. I've not. But I see stuff like this. And I'm like, no, acting is one of the greatest arts we have. It can be. Yeah, it can be know? awful. <laughs> yeah, sure. it can definitely still be like, hey, um, you're pretty. Stand on that mark and say your lines. Yeah. Hey, good job. Now, you know, go collect your money. But no, this is a. Uh, for the both of them, this is a master class of of acting and and, and storytelling. And it's um, it was it was really powerful to watch. Um, just because you know, I, I don't want to jump the gun, but I, you know, you and I talked about this off air. Like we see snippets of what happened in Chernobyl happening now. Yeah, and so it's it's. Um, I don't know, man. It, you know, it, it's fascinating to me. Like <laughs> you, you would talk to me about like, Hey, let's do outbreak or Hey, let's do contagion. And to me, I was just like, huh, that feels too on the nose for what we're having to deal with right now. And I was the one that recommended Chernobyl. And as I watched it, I was just like, son of a gun. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> he, he wrote me into it anyway. Yep. Uh, Craig Mazin, the creator here, I guarantee you he's sitting around somewhere in a prophet's robe. <laughs> 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 Come to me for wisdom. All you who yeah. need. In, a, in his underground bunker. Yeah. Well, I don't know how you want to go through this, but this the way I have this cataloged in my mind for the review is that there are three great quotes from this movie, mm-hmm. or excuse me, from this series, and I think they kind of define uh, and identify all the stuff I want to gush over in it. Okay. And so if you're willing for me to just feed those to you, I'm going to work from lesser to greater. Yeah. I feel like you're – I mean, I feel like this is your baby, so – I you, do love it like a child, yeah. Yeah, you steer the conversation, and I'll be happy to pepper when I can. Well, let me – I don't know if I ever told you this. So uh, do you ever use the website Quora, Q-U-O-R-A? I do, yes. So you can get on and ask questions. And uh, when that thing unveiled or whatever, uh, I think Wired magazines where I'd heard about it. And so uh, very early on, I was an early Quora adopter, and I, I went back and looked for it. And on Quora, if multiple people ask one question, uh, the mods will consolidate it. And uh, so I couldn't find a timestamp for this. But back about a decade ago, I had gotten on Quora and said, maybe more than a decade ago, and, and I would said, why has there never been a great movie made about Chernobyl? Because this isn't one of the quotes I want to throw at you, but you know that there's a scene, I think it's in the first or the second episode, where Legasov and Chernobyl uh, or Sherbina have finally made it to the camp outside of Chernobyl. And they're like looking at it in the distance with that blue light going into the sky. Mm-hmm. And Legasov's trying to tell him, like, you don't understand. You can't throw water on this. And he tells uh, Sherbina, he says, nothing like this has ever happened on Earth before. Mm-hmm. And so as a guy who likes history, I had read about Chernobyl. I think I had first read about Chernobyl in an article about how the exclusion zone around Chernobyl has uh, wildlife has returned to it. So like wild horses and wolves and stuff have shown back up in a way that they didn't expect. But that led me into the story of the thing. It happened when I was five years old. And so it just I'm kind of catching back up to it. But there was this story of these guys who knew the reactor had exploded. And their boss made them go look because he was saying it was something other than an explosion. And the story I read, again, more than a decade ago that made me so interested in this, is that these guys opened a door and looked into the heart of a nuclear reactor. And we're talking about, like, mm. forces that were present at the beginning of the cosmos. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. And they're just looking down into it. 
And the story, when I encountered it, said that the radiation had, uh, you know, killed them very quickly, like we see in the show. But it uh, it had done such damage to them that their eyes changed color. Oh, my goodness. I have no idea if that's true or not. But I just remember being gripped with, like, there were human beings who looked into a nuclear reactor, you know. Yeah. And so, um, in in a lot of ways that, that are kind of relevant now, uh, on a much smaller scale, that story always captivated me. And it shows up in episode one. Um, you know, we get that scene where like dust is falling from the sky in the control room and Diatlov is there with the rest of the techs and they're all basically dressed up like they're going into an operation theater. You know, they've got like <laughs> caps on and whatnot. And Diatlov insists that it's just a water tank that has exploded and he sends those guys to go check it out. And one of them is like, no, the, the reactor exploded. I'm not leaving here to go do that. That's a suicide mission. And all the rest of the guys were like, yeah, the the Soviet guard right over there will kill us if we disobey this superior officer. But the guys went and did it. You know, they went, they knew what they were doing and they went and did it. <laughs> and so one of the texts, I can't remember which one it is. Uh, he looks at the guy who's objecting and he says, what do you want me to say? If it's true, meaning the reactor blew up, then we're dead. Mm. And what does it matter what we do? Right. Mm -hmm. And it's just incredibly compelling to me to think, what do you do when you know your death certificate is signed? You're just waiting for it to cash out. Yeah. And so watching those guys in the show go and like try to get a meter to get a a reading on how many Rockins are in the uh, atmosphere. Uh, watching them like carry guys out who are getting sick from radiation poison already. You know, that scene where the guy carries the other guy on his shoulder and his the guy's hand on his shoulder leaves a radiation burn. <laughs> and, and really, it, it culminates in that. It's an incredible scene where it's basically reproducing that story I heard. They're going to open the door and look, right? <laughs> and they have to fight hard to get that door open. And can you can you imagine being a human being who is a nuclear specialist fighting to get a door open, stepping out and looking over and looking into a radioactive pile. Dude, no. you know, you know, you know, you're dead. You know, it's going to be awful. And you know, you're all you've got left to do is sit and wait for it. Yeah. I, I can't, I mean, it's hard for me to even get to why I find it so compelling, but there's no human dilemma that captivates me more. And I guess it's rooted in fear of death. I mean, for me, the small scale version of this is I had, you know, an Airbnb and other reservations at New Orleans after Mardi Gras. I pull into town. I get noticed. The world's gone to pieces. New Orleans is going to be a hot spot. Do I turn around and go home or do I take my chances? You know, it's a yeah. small scale version of that. Uh, but these guys had to decide uh, we're we know and we got we we need to fill the time that is the rest of our life, the brief rest of our life. So it might as well be this. Th- does this make sense to you? When I, why I'm so like captivated by it? I don't know if I sound like a religious lunatic r- raving about the end of days. No, 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 for sure, man. I mean, you you were. <laughs> I honestly kind of wish that you and I had had this conversation before I watched the show because yeah. I think that I I think that it would have sold me on watching it more than than before. Like I've known about Chernobyl. Um, obviously I was a year old maybe when it happened. Um, but yeah, I've, I've heard about it. I've, I've read certain things about it, but it was never like, it was never a think, a think tank piece for me or or anything that I, I put much stock into, uh, as far as like, Oh, that's fascinating. I should learn more about it. 
And just, I mean, just this last 10 minutes, just listening to you talk about it, I'm, I already want to go back and rewatch this thing. Well, I, I mean, I'm glad to hear that because I always like it when we kind of resonate on the same wavelength. But yeah, man, I, and I don't even know, you know, you drop Jeff Wright and Derek Zhu into that control room. What motivates us? You know, because there's part of me who thinks I just walk up to the Soviet guard and I say, you might as well kill me. Where it, yeah. it's a, you know, there, There's actually a scene where um, Legasov, uh, Sherbina tells the pilot of the of the helicopter, he says, fly me over the the fire. And Legasov tells him, if you do that, you will want him to kill you with the bullet he's threatening you with. And like, do you walk up to the guard in the room and say, just go ahead, man. It's the most humane option I've got. Yeah. Or do you say, is it resignation? Like I've read one of the critics of the series because, you know, this thing tries to be historically accurate, but there's always going to be people who say they missed it. One of the critics said the chief, um, the defining feature of life in the Soviet Union at that time was resignation. So are you just resigned? I've got to do what these people tell me. Uh, or is it this human characteristic to never give up hope where you, you know, again, you're a nuclear technician. You know what's happened. You know what it means. But you step out into the hallway to go look because it's your last hope that you get to live. Right. Mm-hmm. Like maybe Dyatlov's right. And I'll find out I was wrong and I'll never be so thankful to be wrong. Yeah. What do you, I mean, what do you think, Derek? If you put yourself there, what do you think your motivations are? What do you think you do? I think you try to you try to save as many people as you can. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, your your tickets already been punched. Right. So why why worry about yourself in that moment? And just try to just try to help as many people as you can. Yeah, I, and it, that's another thing here too. What does it even look like to help people? Yeah, because like I, you couldn't run out. Like one of the things those guys would have known, they would have known the firefighters should not have approached the fire. Right. Right. They would have known what that black stuff laying on the ground was and not to touch it. But if they run out to do it, they're probably getting shot by their superior and whoever they're talking to isn't going to pay attention to them. You know, they're going to say, I'm in charge of the fire brigade. Shut up and let us do our job. Yeah. I don't even I I can't imagine a more frustrating place to live in the you know, you've got days to live and (laughs) you would just feel so paralyzed, you know, Mm -hmm. So that that to me is the quote that is of um, least significance, but still very compelling in a human drama sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is a companion podcast to this series that I recommend anybody who's into this show go listen to. Yeah. And Craig Mazin is very clear what he thinks the thesis of the show is. And as a creator, we ought to pay attention. It's It shows up right at the very beginning. Uh, Legasov, before he hangs himself, says, what is the cost of lies? And he says, the real danger is that we hear enough lies, then we no longer recognize the truth at all. And this is where I think you and I both are like, he's a prophet. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and I I will say that as a guy who is probably much more to the right politically than most of the people listening to this podcast. Right. Um, but it seems like the one thing that people on the left and the right can agree on is that we can't trust the government to tell us the truth. And I, I told you this, you know, uh, before the before the podcast started, pick an administration. I don't trust that administration. Yeah. To tell me the truth. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I may be more inclined to believe this administration. And I, I say this theoretically, not chronologically. This administration is more inclined to tell me the truth and that is less. But I never come to the table hearing from the government, assuming that I'm going to get clarity and truth above anything else. Mm hmm. 
And in that sense, I think Mason is right that this is not a story that's ultimately just about Chernobyl. It's about yeah. our current climate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you and I off air um, said that, or I said, I said this to you, you know, there, it seems like that there is no, uh, and this is a bold, I mean, this is a broad statement to make, but there seems like that there is no absolute truth anymore. Yeah. Um, it's just truth that fits your narrative. Yeah. Or that is the, the, the narrative of your camp. Right. Yeah. Um, and you see that, I mean, it's glaring in this, in this, uh, mini series. Yep. And, and it was, it was the one thing that I remember, uh, as good as, as good as the series is, I think the thing that resonated the most to me was the, uh, was the prologue where after it's all said and done and they're showing you, um, or you're reading, you know, text of like these many people passed away from, uh, cancer related issues and these, these many people died, you know, and, um, Skarsgård's character died four years and four months after, you know, being exposed and, mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Uh, to me, that made the most impact for me. Sure. You know? And then it shows at the very, very end of it that the Soviet Union only declared death due to the Chernobyl, the Chernobyl accident was 31 lives. Yeah, man. And you just and, – and it was just like the alarm went off in my head where I was like, truth fits the narrative. Yeah. That's what they're going to – that's what they're going to post. And, and sadly, we live um, – we live in a society that, that doesn't want to – and this is getting deep – um, <laughs> this is getting deeper than, than what we normally do here, but like we live in a society that doesn't want to hold itself accountable for facts. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's, well, this is my opinion and my opinion is the fact. And if you don't agree with my opinion, then you're wrong. Yeah. And, and probably I'll reject you personally. I'll, yes. I'll mentally, if not publicly paint you as a monster. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, and uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's glaring the uh, comparisons yeah. between, you know, 30 years ago, 35 years ago at this point and now. Well, let me let me read you the full. I, mean, I say the full like the three or four paragraphs around that. What is the cost of lies section? Mm-hmm. You know, talk about, you know, nailing uh, our times. He says, what is the cost of lies? It's not that we'll mistake them for the truth. The real danger is that if we hear enough lies, then we no longer recognize the truth at all. What can we do then? What else is left but to abandon even the hope of truth and content ourselves instead with stories? In these stories, it doesn't matter who the heroes are. All we want to know is who to blame. In this story, it was Anatoly Dyatlov. He was the best choice. An arrogant, unpleasant man. He ran the room that night. He gave the orders. And no friends, at least not important ones. And now Dyatlov will spend the next 10 years in a prison labor camp. Of course, that sentence is doubly unfair. There were far greater criminals than him at work. And as for what Dyatlov did, what he did do, the man doesn't deserve prison. He deserves death. But instead, 10 years for criminal management, excuse me, criminal mismanagement. What does that mean? No one knows. It doesn't matter. What does it matter? What does matter is that to them, justice was done. Because you see, to them, a just world is a sane world. There was nothing sane about Chernobyl. What happened there, what happened after, even as good as we did, all of it, all of it is just madness. And he says to the scientific community, well, I've given you everything I know. They'll deny it, of course. They always do. I know you'll try your best. And dude, how bleak is that? 
But how how relevant is that? <sighs> yeah. Uh, it, I know. <laughs> can we go? Can we best. go? Can we go back to made up monsters? For sure, man. For sure. <laughs> you know, uh, we. It, it's interesting that Chernobyl is a morality tale. Mm-hmm. It's ultimately about lies and telling the truth, right? So we. <laughs> I, I don't want to get too preachy here, um, and I don't think that you have to have my ideological, philosophical, theological convictions to to resonate with what I'm about to say. I think this is kind of still consensus. But we want to act like reality is conformable to our will, right? Mm-hmm. That good and evil doesn't really exist objectively. It's just sort of this construct that society created, uh, and we can kind of define ourselves and live in our own reality. But that doesn't work with nuclear energy. <laughs> yeah. You get what I'm saying? Like, Yeah. Yeah. I don't mean to laugh. You're, you're spot on. Yeah. Nuclear energy comes along and says, this is a really great, powerful, this is a source for the kind of power you need to power your cities and your smartphones and all that. But it is objective. Yeah. And if you don't relate to it as objective, you're going to be in trouble. So Chernobyl happens and objective reality sticks its foot back in the door. But then... Some events happen that make it look like morality is also objective. And again, I don't want to go too far here because I get that there are customs in one society that are seen as immoral, that in another society uh, are seen as moral. Mm -hmm. But when we get to lying about what happened about Chernobyl and the way that sets up other people to suffer, it starts looking like uh, uh, morality is much more objective than we are comfortable with considering. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And so I I think Chernobyl is prophetic in a couple of different ways. It really addresses our cultural moment. Uh, and one that, in my opinion, began before the Trump administration. People don't have to agree with me on that. But I'm just saying, among the people I live with, this fake news was a phenomenon long before Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump started talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also prophetic in in kind of preaching at us to say, you're going to have to start relating to objective reality in ways you're probably not comfortable doing anymore if you're going to survive. Mm. And uh, I'm not going to try to corner what that objective reality is, particularly not on the morality thing. But I'm just saying this this series raises those kind of questions in a way it's hard to be comfortable with. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm putting you in an awkward spot or making you, I don't don't know how you're reacting to that, but I love stories that raise really good questions and provoke me. Mm -hmm. And I feel like Chernobyl raises really good questions and provokes me. Yeah, no, I I agree with that for sure. Um, Yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely one of those, one of those things where it makes you sit and, and um, not only think about how you would react to the situation at hand, but also think about, how you're reacting to situations now. Yeah, exactly. Now. Exactly right. Um, There's a quote in in January of 2019, Entertainment Weekly interviewed Mason, and they said, what project with a project like Chernobyl, how do you make an event that happened decades ago seem so relevant now? And he said, you can't always. I mean, in some sense, I think some things that happened a long time ago aren't particularly relevant for now. But this one, I I think, couldn't be more so. It's about the cost of lives. It uh, lies. It's about what happens when a culture and a government and a people begin to lose touch with the importance of truth. And when that happens, there are costs. You might be able to get away with it for a while, but sooner or later, it's going to get you. And we are, all of us right now, living through a time when the truth is being manipulated and distorted and almost made fun of. The idea of truth is being laughed at. And that's what Chernobyl is about. It's about the cost of that because it's real. Mm. Uh, that's Yeah, that's almost a year ago. Yeah. 
So I think there is something here. And listener, you do with it what you want. Of course, I'm always open to dialogue about this stuff. And I think I can do so charitably. I think I can even hear that I'm wrong charitably. Uh, take me up on that. But there, there's something in this story about the corrupting nature of self-deception. And then when you spread that out across society, how immediately people are put in danger. And I think it's all caught up in that quote, what's the cost of lies? Mm -hmm. The what's the cost of lies was the one quote that stuck with me throughout the entire um, throughout the entire miniseries. And um, I'm glad that that was one of the quotes that you wanted to bring up because I was definitely going to talk about it as well. Yeah, Uh, because because I feel like that. Uh, and I don't know what the third one is, but I feel like that that's the most relevant to what we're dealing with um, as a populace. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I'm going to suggest that there's one more that that I think even slipped past Craig Mazin. And I, I will look forward to your verdict. But since this is a scary movie podcast, there's two things I want to I want to ask you. Was there any part of this uh, of this show that was more soul destroying than any other for you? Because there is one for me, and I'm just going to compare notes. Um, I mean, I think that the, the most visceral for me was uh, the young man and his wife yeah. um, as he's as he's laying there dying and, and basically burning from the inside. Um, yeah, I, I remember thinking to myself in the first – what's that, is that episode two or three where that happens? Do you remember? I think it's three. Um uh, some of this stuff blends together for me, but I think yeah. it's three. And and that's I, where I, we see them, too, that like their skin has turned translucent and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, th- I, th- I think you're right on that, because I remember in the first two episodes where, um, you know, I'm, I'm finally in the groove of this thing and, and, and starting to watch it and enjoy it. Um, being like in my head saying, well, here's another there's nothing scary about this, you know, uh, going on. And then I saw that. And thought, no, dummy, this whole thing's scary. Like, <laughs> yeah, what do you, you know? Why would you? Why would you say that it's not? But yeah, I don't think that there's anything that disturbed me more um, from like a, a visceral response than uh, than that in episode three with the with the young fireman and his and his wife. Yeah, and I, then of course to find out that um, you know she loses the child what four days after yeah the child was born. It, it's just it's a heartbreaking heartbreaking story. Yeah, man. Uh, so that's actually going to be number two for me. I think it should be number one. I don't know if you remember this when you were telling me like, I ah, mean, I can't really get into this. I said, you got to hang around long enough to see what happens to the firefighters. Yes. Um, when you lay eyes on them and you see what has become of them physically, I had a cold sweat because like, you know, we watch Tusk, you know, <laughs> or whatever, some extreme body horror uh, movie and we can be blown away. But we also know nobody's going to be able to turn a human into a walrus. Right. This happened to people. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, just another thing. Part of my part of my job is and I'm, I'm not complaining about that, although it's hard, is caring for people when they die. Mm-hmm. And nobody wants to be alone when they die. Nobody. Right. Right. Uh, in fact, uh, a friend of ours who pastors in our hometown uh, was telling me one of the worst stories I've ever heard. He was telling me about trying to care for this elderly man who is barred from entering uh, the hospital where his wife is dying mm. because of COVID um, regulations. And so every day that guy is going to the grassy area outside of her window and sitting, looking at her window. Mm. 
nobody wants to be alone when they die. But these young men in the prime of life, you know, we get that one like cutaway to life in Chernobyl before everything went wrong. And it was like one of the best places to live in the USSR at that time. You know, Mm -hmm. these guys are, you know, they've got young, lovely wives. They're starting families. And then you realize they're going to die in a tent Yeah, where nobody can visit them. Um, and it, yeah, when he touches her stomach, which is the most normal thing for a father to do with a pregnant wife, uh, and you know, it's putting her and the baby at risk. And I mean, dude, it's just crushing. Yeah. So anyway, I, I'm with you. Um, but the, 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 the scene, it's almost a full episode that really rattled me was the guys who had to go around killing the dogs. Yeah, that was rough too. I didn't expect that at all. Yeah, (laughs) you know, and and not to be harsh, I think we've talked about this on the podcast. Grew up on a farm. Animals are a utility. When the animal's utility needs to be capitalized on, i.e., it's time for that cow to become hamburger. Mm -hmm. That's what you do. Uh, If the dog who has helped you work cattle goes crazy and starts being a threat to the cattle, there's things that have to be done. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. there's a agree with it or disagree with it. I was raised in an environment where animals weren't therapy creatures. You, you know what I mean? And like, I'm mm-hmm. a, I'm a huge dog guy. I love dogs as a pet. I, I, I wouldn't treat a dog in that way, but nonetheless, I, my formative years were spent in an environment where it was just different. And, yeah. uh, what I just can't imagine being the person who has to go around all day, killing dogs who come up to meet me wagging their tail. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I may be over, I may be aggrandizing this, but I expect to be rattled by the young father dying, knowing he won't get to see his child. You know what I yeah. mean? Like I expect yeah. that. I didn't expect to be so destroyed by the idea that you're just going to spend your day killing house pets. And like when he goes into the, to the, the, the dog with the litter of puppies, mm-hmm. I just, yeah. I wanted no more of that. Yeah, man. I think that I've tried to block that out of my memory. Yeah. <laughs> You know, because it was that was a really tough thing to watch, and I just remember, you know, when when he's when that young soldier's given that order, and me just being like, "Don't do it, buddy. Put your gun down. Shoot yourself. Do something. <laughs> yeah, for do, real. Do something. Like you, you don't have to do this. Don't worry about it." Yeah, and then, yeah. That you're right. That is a, a very heavy emotional um, part of that episode. If I, that would you think that's like the a story of that episode? Probably. Yeah. That's why I, it feels like the whole episode. I think there's a lot more that goes on, but it kind of feels yeah. like a dog killing episode. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. again, I just, I would not have expected it. If you'd have given me the elements that are in this story, I think I would have sorted that to the bottom of like what I will care about. Yeah. Even the gruff dude who's like the veteran of foreign wars, who's like in charge of that group. And you can tell he's trying to go easy on this kid. But like when the kid doesn't put the animal down with the first shot and hesitates, mm-hmm. he loses his crap. He's like, they don't suffer. You know, and like he's on yeah. his case about you don't let them suffer. I'm like, holy cow, this dude has a soul. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Somehow against all odds. This hardened soldier has a soul, and he's not being a jerk to this young man. He's he's sparing not just the animal, but the young man, the psychological effects of letting an animal suffer. Uh, all right. Well, anything else to say on that one? I'll, I'll leave it alone. Anything else that was, like, truly horrifying or gut-wrenching that uh, I didn't highlight there? No, I mean, no. I, I, I will say that it did, it did kind of startle me a little bit to know that um, – Jared Harris's character, what's his name again? Legolas? Uh, Legasov, um, yeah. There it is. Thank you. Uh, 
that Legasov hung himself. Yeah, uh, I, I didn't expect that to. I didn't expect that to be the first five minutes of the show. Yeah, it's jarring. And so that was that left me in a state of like, oh my gosh, that's that's where we're going. And uh, so I would I would put that on there too. Like I know that they don't really show much of it, but still, it was difficult to be like, oh, there's Jared Harris killing himself Swinging, again. Yeah. You know, honestly, I almost feel like that's a kindness. It it does two things uh, as a storyteller. Uh, that's a kindness from Mason. Because one, it tells you how bleak the story is going to be. Yeah. You know, but then two, if we had gotten that after Legasov kind of stares down, which, you know, is is a fabrication. He he wasn't really in the trial the way that they they portray him. But he is the guy who got the scientific community motivated to to not couch out of the party line. Mm -hmm. If that guy gives the big presentation at the trial. And stares down not only his own, you know, people and the the the, the structure around him, but his own demons. Because we know in real life too, he went to Paris previously and had lied on behalf of the administration. Right. Uh, if I have to then go watch him hang himself, I, I don't know how I come out of this this series. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it would have been a bridge too far. I'm almost yeah, thankful I've, I got that over with. Yeah, they they did it the right way for sure, but it, it still it's just a very jarring yeah uh, thing to walk right into. It is super jarring for sure. Well, here's the last quote. I won't keep us here all day. Uh, this is what I actually think the thesis is, and I think it's how this series is most relevant. People can tell me how wrong I am, including you. I, I welcome that. But it's in episode four, and Sherbina and Legasov and um, Komiuk are sitting there talking about Legasov going to tell the international community what happened at Chernobyl. And this is the one where Legasov chooses to lie. But as they're off in this room kind of hashing out the moral duty that Legasov has to tell the uh, the world what happened here, Sherbina gets in Komiuk's face and says, what you're proposing is that Legasov humiliate a nation that is obsessed with not being humiliated. Mm -hmm. And I think that is the defining feature of the world I have lived in, at least in my adult years. Nobody is willing to be told they are wrong or have to deal with the reality that they're wrong. Yeah. And so I really think, I think the what is the cost of lies is right on. I think it's subservient to the greater root problem of being obsessed with not being, you know, humiliated or not being seen in public to be wrong. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's the defining characteristic of the world of Chernobyl, right? So um, they the the state, as an expression of their own glory, has to be protected at all uh, costs. And so Dyatlov insists on the lie of the uh, water tank exploding because it has to be a lie. It can't be his fault that this disaster erupted. Right. The people who are his supervisors get together and lie to each other. They say, oh, 3.6 Rotkin? Eh, not great, but not terrible. Um, they blame their administrators for sending them defective equipment. When Legasov shows up, the guy who is like, you know, the curly-headed supervisor of Chernobyl is like, I've heard these terrible things you've been saying. What a shameful thing for you to be doing in this hour. And they like click, click their tongues at him. Mm -hmm. And then like within five minutes, Sherbina is saying, take these men away because he's realized that they are the problem. I mean, it's just lies, lies, lies. And yeah. lies are a problem, but it's all in service to never being seen to be wrong and having to deal with that. So, like, I, I see root and fruit. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Like, the lies are the fruit. The root of it is I can't ever be seen to be wrong. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, I don't mean to keep rattling, but, you know, Mazin says this in the Entertainment Weekly deal, uh, but he has Legasov say it as a line of dialogue. Every lie we tell incurs a debt to the truth. Sooner or later, that debt is paid. It doesn't matter how aggressive we are towards never being humiliated or seen to be wrong. It doesn't matter what resources we can temporarily marshal to never have to deal with being wrong in public. It's eventually going to come bite us. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's where the fear comes from. Well said. Yeah. I uh, I mean, I know I've been rattling a lot, and I'm sorry. I don't mean to dominate, but like... No, you're fine. This captivates me. It captivates Mm -hmm. me that, that basically this is a story of human pride. Sure. And I can look at lots of different people on TV uh, who have authority in our culture and have platforms in our culture. And I think the one thing I can say they have in common is that they are obsessed with not being humiliated. And, you know, lest I be heard to be beating up on other people, you know what lives in my heart? The same thing. Exactly. Yeah. I, you know, I feel like I feel like Chernobyl can pretty easily be seen as an indictment of whatever your favorite pet peeve is. Mm-hmm. But I think the reason this show has really gotten under my skin is that it's a mirror, and I'm not I'm not comfortable. Like I said, I like stuff that raise good questions and provoke me, and this is a freaking mirror. Yeah. So anyway, I'm I'm done. I, I will quit rattling. No, man, you're fine. I I mean, if if I disagreed, I would I would speak up, you know. Yeah. But I, I mean, you're you're it's right on the you're right on the money. I, I mean, again, to pull back the curtain, th- these are things that you and I were talking about off air, right? Yeah. Like n- no one wants to be held accountable. No one wants to admit when they're wrong, and even when they're called out on a lie, now they double down on mm-hmm. what they perceive to be their truth. Um, and you see, you know, and you see that in this series <laughs> for sure. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's been one of those things for me, um, as a person, it's been one of those things where I, I uh, tend to get frustrated when people disagree with my opinion on things, mm-hmm. but I've also come to the point now where I just, I, I try to let it go because it's just my opinion. There's no fact like you know, if, if it's if it's a fact, then, then that's different. But if it's like, oh, hey, I um, I hate hereditary mm-hmm. and people are like, well, I love hereditary or midsummer. Like, oh, yeah. Or, <laughs> or, yeah. Either way. Um, then I go, OK, cool. I mean, that's that's your opinion. And you're you know, you and I don't have to agree on it anymore. Uh, but you, you don't see that a lot in the world. And it's. For me, it's been the most disheartening thing, and I'm not saying that I'm perfect at it. Like I still get frustrated with uh, stupid stuff that I shouldn't be frustrated with, but it is alarming. You know, it's one of the things we were talking again, talking about off here, where I said I I have to limit my social media time because I get so frustrated with how people are. Mm -hmm. You know, um, whether they want to they want to pass off quote unquote fake news as their own or. Uh, you know, the, the biggest thing is, is just the, the, the unnecessary, the unnecessary pot shots at people who don't agree with them instead of being like, oh, okay, cool. Well, that's your opinion. And I respect you for it. I, I disagree with it. It's, well, you're an idiot. I don't, you know, I don't understand why you feel that way. Why are you such a moron? Well, no, I mean, they're not, it's, I, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's weird to see, uh, the way that the world is, but then, 
you know, you, you watch a series like this and you go, oh, we've just been preparing ourselves for the last 35 years to be like this. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the way I would say it is that every problem in Chernobyl is not a problem of unique wickedness. It's a problem of scale. So like the same person on your Facebook or Twitter feed who uh, either, either person, I'm gonna give you two examples. The person who is happy to spread misinformation because it serves their camp's political or civic or social agenda mm-hmm. or the person who refuses to uh, take it down or acknowledge that they were wrong when someone calls them out. Mm-hmm. That person on Facebook and Twitter with those super low stakes uh, issues, comparatively anyway, is the exact same person as the guy who says 3.6 Rodkins, not terrible, not great. Yeah. It's just a matter of scale. So we live in a world full of people who are being cultivated to be the kind of guy who can watch a nuclear reactor blow up and be like, eh, it's a water tank. Yeah. Go, go, go look in and make sure. Uh, and that's, that's the horrifying thing. Cause like, again, this is where it's just not comfortable. Name your favorite politician to hate or your favorite celebrity to hate. Like the person who in public is the dumbest person you know of. Mm-hmm. Okay, sure. It's a, it's a, it's an issue of scale, not character, because that same person lives on your Facebook and Twitter feed and it lives in your heart every time you're called out on something, either for getting something wrong or for not acknowledging a good criticism of your own camp, right? Like, so every one of us has sort of a a tribe that we belong to, but no tribe is perfect. So the Mm -hmm. next time someone that you despise, comes and actually gives a thoughtful critique of your position, see what happens in your own heart. Yeah. And again, it's it's just a matter of scale. It's not a matter of, uh, you know, the, the, these people being uniquely wicked. And I, I'm like, you. I want to be the kind of person who leans into criticism, leans into uh, dialogue with those I disagree with, leans into the idea that I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll be honest with you, just being married is really helpful to me on that because I have this woman <laughs> I love. So much that I have to say I, she gets to have a voice. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, I, I love her enough to say, if she says I'm wrong, I have to pay attention to her in a way that I don't, the Twitter troll. All right. So, like, I'm thankful these things are built into my life. I actually see that as a gift of the Lord to keep me from becoming the troglodyte that I would naturally become, uh, or at least slow it. <laughs> uh, but anyway, that, that's why it just makes... I think this, I think people are probably going to watch Chernobyl for decades. <laughs> yeah. Because it just kind of, it, yeah, it's dealing with very contemporary problems, but it's dealing with fundamental human problems too. Yeah. It's a, it's a morality play at the heart and soul of it. 100%. 100%. Yeah. I mean, you know, we think about Shakespeare with Hamlet and uh, Macbeth as like really getting to the core of the human condition. I think Chernobyl does that too. Yeah. So anyway, that's my bag. <laughs> Actually, it's not. I could talk to you about unique features of this thing for a long time because every time I watch it, I see something new. But those are the broad strokes that I think you kind of have to talk about when you talk about Chernobyl. Yeah. Well, I think we've done. I think I think we've done a great job in, in painting those broad strokes. And I think that if you want a more in depth look at it, more than what you and I can give in a uh, in a in a one episode podcast, then I would definitely recommend uh, listening to the. Um, Accompanied podcast. Oh yeah, that yeah. HBO put out. It is great. Uh, and and here's the thing: he comes from a very particular political angle, and it shows up a little bit in the mm-hmm. podcast. But dude, the details, the uh, the information that comes through that thing, it's wonderful. It yeah, I couldn't recommend listening more. 
It's just called yeah. Chernobyl, I think. Yeah, it is. And if you're uh, searching for it on Apple Podcasts, it'll be the first thing that pops up. So just type in Chernobyl and um, and give that thing a subscribe and take a listen to it. I'm halfway through the first episode, and I'm very excited to go through the rest of them as well. I wish that I would have timed it better, and I wish that I would have watched an episode and then listened to the podcast and then watched an episode and listened to the podcast. Yeah. But um, – well, but I'm excited. I'm excited to go through it. And, I'm excited and, for you. So I binge this thing and then listen to the podcast and then went and watched the show again. So like mm. there, there's different ways of, you know, consuming this stuff. So, yeah, for sure. Uh, well, let's let's get to it then, my man. Uh, did you see something scary? Yeah. And I can say that in the existential sense of just what vainglory does to the human uh, person and also to society. Mm-hmm. But, dude, I legitimately broke out in a cold sweat when I saw that that firefighter, you know, in the yeah. late stages of radiation poisoning. So, yeah. yes, I saw something scary. Yeah, I agree. Not only that, but um, I also feel like that we need to make reference to the fact that uh, at the very end of this, they show some footage of people in hazmat suits going back to where Chernobyl, uh, to where it um, blew up. Yeah. And they show the firefighter suits with an alarming rate of radiation to this day. To this, yeah. So when we were watching it this time, you know, there's that scene that it just it just shows the medical community is so ill prepared. The nurse says, "Do we have iodine?" And he's like, "Why would we have iodine pills? Because you know you, you want to protect your would uh, uh, one of the glands. Basically, iodine stops the radiation from depositing there and killing you." But then when he's got these people who've been burned by radiation, he's rubbing milk on them. And she's like, get his clothes off. Those are radiation burns. And they start piling those clothes mm-hmm. up. I, I turned to Christian. I said, do you remember that those clothes are still right there to this day? And uh, that's it's just staggering. They did something there that's going to have centuries of consequence. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, when he says something happened here that has never happened ever before, it it's an understatement. It's not an, yeah. you know, it's not um, being grandiose. It's an understatement. So anyway, just to this is what happens to me when I talk about Chernobyl. You gave no, like fine. that little prompt, and I can just go off on it. Uh, <laughs> it's fascinating in the darkest way possible. But yes, it's crazy that those clothes are sitting there, still dangerously radioactive. Yeah, insane. Uh, scale of one to ten, where would you put this? Uh, this is a ten for me, man. I, I usually want a happier ending. Mm-hmm. This is a 10 for me. There, I have no criticisms of this miniseries. Yeah, um, I probably would, would slide it at like a nine or nine and a half. How dare you? That is the cost of lies right there, Derek Zoo. <laughs> I'm just I'm just playing. I, uh, <laughs> just lean into that last point we're trying to make. Um, <laughs> and, and I think simply just because it did take me a while to get into it. Yeah. Um, but once, but once I got into it, man, it's it is um, it's easy to binge, but difficult to binge at the same time. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is the like train wreck you can't look away from. Yeah, it is. And uh, again, you know, it's it's very uh, eerie and borderline terrifying mm-hmm. that you you see so much of current uh, present day America. In some of the actions and words of uh, of these men from the from the Soviet Union back, you know, thirty five years ago. So yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, I, I definitely, if you have not seen it, I definitely recommend you watching it. If you have seen it, I, I say do what Jeff did: go listen to the podcast and then rewatch it again. It's 
it's worth it. I'll probably eventually pick it back up and watch it again. There's there's a lot of things that I've I've missed over the years that I want to watch um, before I I go back to the darkest hell. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I definitely this this is something I'll definitely rewatch in the future and. Um, you know, and something that I think once I do rewatch it, I want to come back and talk to you. Maybe not on the podcast, but I want to come back and talk to you about it again, dude. I I hope you do because I'm really curious what the rewatch. You know, because I think I'm suspicious that part of uh, part of what was off putting to you initially was that I hadn't I hadn't prompted you to say this is not an action thing. This is a human drama thing. You know, yeah. now that you know that, uh, I'm wondering if the rewatch won't even be better than the initial. I, I think that it will. I, um, you know, again, I think that was my biggest hangup was I just, I expected more. I don't, I don't want to say that I expect like Armageddon, you know, mm-hmm. the Michael Bay movie or anything like that. But, um, I, I, I think that when the way you gushed over it and the way that so many other people and things that I read were like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen on television. Um, so I had like breaking bad expectations or, sure the wire expectations. And this is not, it's not that series, Um, but it is, uh, it is amazing. And I don't think I've ever seen uh, a mini series or limited series or whatever you want to call it, or made for TV movie or however you want to label this thing. I don't think I've seen anything better than this. And uh, so I definitely look forward to going back and, and taking a look at it again from, from an angle of expectation, but also to, you know, as you said, you learn something new or you see something new every time you rewatch it. I, I want to do that, too. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. We didn't even touch on, like, how well this thing is made from a cinematography standpoint. The, uh, you know, the the music and score along with it. Like, there's there's layers to this thing The you know, think about the scene where the people are standing on the uh, the bridge in Pripyat watching Chernobyl burn and the mm-hmm. kids are playing and like it shows the moats drifting down on them. Like there's just really mm-hmm. beautiful cinematography here. And so anyway, there's more, there's more. Uh, well, and let me maybe throw something positive in there. If this really captivates your imagination, I can't name you one off the top of my head, but there are multiple documentaries available online for free. I think I found them on mm. YouTube that look at the way that wildlife has returned to the Chernobyl exclusion zone. You, you can find mm-hmm. some really eerie like uh, footage of people who went back and explored Pripyat uh, in these abandonment because these people walked right out in the middle of everyday life. So there's all these creepy like, oh, there's the abandoned Ferris wheel and stuff like that. But don't quote me on all this, but some of the stuff that came out of that reading years ago, wolves have become uh, have begun to flourish in the Chernobyl exclusion zone again. Um, there, there's a species of, of horse that's native to Russia that they thought was gone from Russia that has showed back up, uh, wow. some streams that were lost because of human development, uh, and, and natural river courseways that were gone. Uh, beavers have come back in and reestablished and like how that just how that works, that beavers who had no reference to the pre-existing river have recreated these things. What does that mean? You know, there's just mm-hmm. all kinds of great stuff coming out of uh, the way that nature has unexpectedly not been devastated, but in some sense has flourished in the exclusion hmm. zone. That's really interesting stuff. So that is really interesting stuff. I agree. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll quit. I'm going to, I'll say no more other than thanks for letting me <laughs> talk about this, this show with you.
Well, guys, thanks for coming to Jeff's TED Talk. <laughs> I'm uh, so sorry. <laughs> no, no, man, you're fine. I, I, honest to goodness, man, like I, I enjoyed this conversation. I think it's one of my favorite ones that we've done so far. It's, it's. Um, I always enjoy it when uh, either you and I, you or I, have a passion project that we want to talk about. Yeah, uh, yeah me too. This, this kind of goes off the trail a little bit, but I recently re-listened to our Blade episode. Yeah. And for me, that was a passion project. Sure. You know, I, I love that movie. And so just to, to get to hear you um, wax poetic about something that you're you're this passionate about, man, I'm, I'm all for it. So, well, thank you. I appreciate that. I hope I hope listeners enjoyed as much as uh, as I have talking it over with you. Well, if they know, then they're stupid and they're wrong and we're <laughs> right. So uh. <laughs> we're obsessed with being right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, man, I think that's, that'll do it. That'll put a bow on Chernobyl for us. Um, let's, let's do some housekeeping. Then we can talk about some other stuff. Uh, Hey, if you haven't already, you should go to Facebook and go to the groups and join. We saw something scary. That is our Facebook group. And there's all sorts of good fun happening over there. Uh, you can try to, I don't know, maybe try to do some kind of watch party or something with, um, with the Facebook group. Maybe we can awesome. Yeah, maybe we can all watch a movie together or something pretty soon. Um, we need, we all need stimulation at the moment. So maybe we can figure out something else, else out like that. And if you'd like to be a part of that, or if you'd like to recommend a movie for us to to watch in that watch along or whatever, then uh, hop on that thing. We saw something scary on Facebook. Go to your favorite podcasting platform: Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. I, I don't even know if that's still a thing or not. Google Podcasts, but anyways, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud. YouTube, Plenty of Fish, J-Date, whatever, um, whatever you're swiping right on, swipe right on us. Subscribe. Give us those five-star reviews. Let other people know about the podcast. And uh, and then, of course, if you would love to uh, – if you'd love to help out monetarily, you can go to patreon.com forward slash scary podcast, and you can see the tiers there and uh, help a brother out. Yep. We appreciate uh, you. I mean the, the Patreon supporters literally help keep the show going. Um, they, you know, if you enjoy the free show, really the thanks go to the Patreon supporters because they pay for hosting, they pay for, uh, everything that kind of keeps the show moving along. Of course, Derek and I are the ones on the microphones, but that's what's paying for hosting. And, you know, the, the hosting bills are not like uh, catastrophic, but they're also nothing that I think we would be able to pay out of pocket for very long and keep the show going. So thank you, Patreon supporters. Yeah. Um, although not going to lie, the next two months go specifically for me to get a PlayStation. So <laughs> yes, uh, we're all in favor of that. <laughs> thank you. Uh, Patreon. <laughs> Appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, maybe, maybe we do it on the, maybe we do the watch along on the, on the Patreon. Sure. Before we we do it for the Facebook. Group. I don't know. It's probably stuff we can, you can probably edit all that out. I don't know. Anyway, um, scary podcasts. Yeah. Patreon.com forward slash scary podcast. Uh, we would love to to have have you guys partner with us on that, and um, when uh, you know we we've got some different things Jeff and I've been trying to work on um, to make that more uh, make that more worth your buck. So be on the lookout for um, some cool things that are be coming that way. Uh, Patreon exclusives. He's at right, Jeff. I'm at Derek Zoo, and we are out of time. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, go watch this thing, man. Um, I feel like that 2020 has been a year of suck so far, and uh, a lot of that is shown through the podcast. <laughs> we haven't really seen a lot of good stuff, but this was, uh, I think, I mean, this is at the forefront. You know, this is the the best thing that I think that we reviewed all year. So. 
go go check it out if you haven't, or go give it a rewatch and uh, let us know what you think about it in the Facebook group. And we'll see you guys back here real, real soon. Uh, but until then, just remember to stay away from clouds and sewers, blind men with turkey pasters, and white people with teacups. We'll see you back here real soon. Stay safe. Bye-bye, man. Bye.